When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund, alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. As New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al from White Plains, and this is New Report, Old Report, here on Monday, December 10th from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts, or really wherever you get your podcasts as well as londonbridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437, or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same, and we'll play what you have to say on air again by calling 929-274-3437. This week, the Heisman is crowned, stupidity reigns in the NFL, and another team makes the 2018 Graveyard, We'll also recap our picks in this week's six-pack segment and more. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week of athletics. And after coming close to 20 shows... Do we expect anything different at this point? Excitement in the National Football League. Some excitement maybe for teams that don't deserve it. Some stupidity to go around in this week, which happens from time to time in the NFL. And maybe some surprises in college football as we wrap up that and talk about the Heisman a little bit, maybe to get the show started. We talked about this last week, the Kyler Murray Tua T debate. If Tua's last game slid Kyler Murray into the number one position, if it was now his award and Tua almost in a way lost it because of that game, turns out that's what it looks like. Kyler Murray wins the Heisman Trophy out of Oklahoma. Wasn't really that close when it comes down to first place votes. He had an incredible season. He had an incredible win to end the season, whereas Tua unfortunately gets hurt in the final game. Jalen Hurts comes in, wins them the game, and the eyes go over to Oklahoma. They think maybe we had on rose-colored glasses in Alabama because of how great of a team they are. To me, and we talked about it Saturday morning before it happened, I came around I think they got the vote right. I think Kyler Murray was deserving of the Heisman Trophy, and I don't really have much to argue about it otherwise. Zero here, Big John. I mean, first of all, everybody hope uh, everybody enjoyed their week and had a wonderful sports weekend. And it was started off on Saturday by the Heisman announcement. As you said, we touched on this uh, at length last week. Uh, Yesterday morning, we both thought Murray was going to win. I thought Murray was going to be the winner when we spoke last week. The thing that that really struck me was that Murray did not have a bad game. And as much as people say, you know, well, two is playing against the SEC defenses. I got to listen to Bobby Carpenter. I mean, are you kidding me? You know, the the, the analyst, former Ohio State linebacker, who who picked the Ohio State quarterback. I mean, are are you kidding? I mean, what, what are you doing? place he had a, he had a terrific season but he's clearly a distant third the thing that really strikes me about all of this is that the people who say well he's playing against sec defenses and to and murray is playing against you know 12 defenses they're throwing the ball over the field murray's had to score 50 points every game because of the way that league operates and look, I don't care who you are, it's hard to defend these teams. We saw Oklahoma light George up last year in the semis. And if Lincoln Riley didn't conserve it in, in the second half, they would have played for the national title. So he lit that Georgia defense up like a firecracker. There was pressure on this kid to score a bundle of points every week, and he did it. The one game they lost, obviously, was at the gun to Texas, and 
they revenge that loss in the Big 12 title game. He did not have a bad game, a below-par game, all year long, like to his brutal game in the SEC title. And remember also, you know, people want to argue, well, you know, two didn't play in the fourth quarter. Put, put up the numbers from the third quarter to the third to the fourth quarter for both players. And Murray still wins. Two is a great player. He had a terrific year. He was clearly in the lead. He faded down the stretch, had a dog of a final game. And I think it actually probably hurt him more that Jalen Hurts came off the bench and they beat Georgia that way. I think that made it look even worse because Hurts came in and did all the things that Tua couldn't do. Converted all his third downs. Tua couldn't convert on third down, on third and long. Hurts is converting on you know, third and long in those the, the last quarter and a half and taking them down the field two different times. Came in on third and long and made a great throw. And I think that really hurt Tua. Badly. Badly. About 10% of the votes were in going into the SEC title game in the last weekend. I have no idea what, the, obviously, the breakdown was on, on that 10% vote scenario. But the bottom line is, as you said, it wasn't that close. I did think it would be closer, but uh, the boys in Vegas got it right. We got it right. And to me, he was the winner. He was the guy who had the best season from beginning to end of all of the guys who were there in New York. And I think he was the best player in the country from beginning to end. So, uh, and as I said, I, I thought it was going to be closer because, you know, two had, by all accounts, been ahead and supposedly, you know, his Heisman to lose. But maybe we, you know, overstated that. Maybe it was much closer going into that last weekend than a lot of us thought. That's what I'm surmising. Because I can't believe that many people uh, changed their vote. I think there was probably a big following for Tua, or excuse me, for, for Murray to begin with. And I think a lot of it had to do with the consistency he showed throughout the year. And also, you know, the fact that he had, had, had the great running ability and was much more of a two-way quarterback than the other two guys. You and clearly more valuable to his team. You mentioned the boys clearly in Vegas. Clearly more valuable to his team than the other two guys. That line started moving like crazy going in the favor of Murray as far as him going to the negative as we started getting closer and closer to Saturday. So you mentioned the boys in Vegas. They knew. <laughs> they knew that the tables had they turned. They usually do. And they always do. They knew something was coming, and they were right. And what's interesting and funny, and this happens, so it's not going to be that much of a surprise. When the NFL draft comes a-calling, the Heisman vote finalists, how they finish for that, will probably be a reverse for how they get drafted in the National Football League. There's a good chance that happens. And we know that Kyler Murray is supposedly, reportedly, almost a foot in the door going to play for the Oakland Athletics. So he won't well, be in the equation for that, seemingly, as it stands now. But I wouldn't be surprised to see that Haskins, Murray, Tua go one, two, three well, in Tua that order. Well, Tua will not in be in the draft, correct? Right. Tua, is a, Tua is a pure sophomore. Not yet. I think they're just so projecting in, in general type thing. If they I think Haskins will be the first quarterback off the board. If Haskins, if Haskins goes into the draft and he hasn't decided yet, right. which I think he will decide to do, there's a good chance he's jumped over uh, certainly Will Greer from West Virginia. I don't know if he's jumped over the Oregon kid uh, or the kid from Missouri that everybody loves, but you know, the way he finished with his size, his throwing ability – he may be at the top of the draft. It's certainly, although the Giants keep winning. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. It, 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 it would be a guy that if you were sitting there for the Giants, uh, when they come, their, their spot comes along, uh, he may be a guy that could be you know, in a Giant uniform. It to be seen depending on how the Giants do and what he decides to do. Uh, but he has certainly enhanced his draft status, and I think now is the time for him to go because I don't think he could get any hotter. Well, interestingly enough, and I can hit on this briefly because it affects the team that you'll be pulling for come bowl season in the Syracuse Orange, who now don't have to go up against Will Greer, who decided that he is going to forego that camping bowl game and focus on the National Football League and get ready for the draft. The boys in Vegas 
Slowly but surely, that number all of a sudden went from, I think it was at minus seven at some point, it started going down and down and down, and then the rumbling started that maybe Will Greer isn't going to play in this game. And, of course, the rumblings were felt in Vegas. They knew it was coming. They made the proper changes, and now we stand, I think, at three or four points in favor of West Virginia. Yeah, I was going to guess three and a half. Are you a, are you a fan of what these guys... This is probably the biggest name so far as far as the I'm not going to play this year, and we've saw it before with Leonard Fournette, of course. We're not, we're not counting Bosa, correct, who quit, who quit the second half of the right. season. Right. I don't think we can include him because you could assume Ohio State was going to do well, but at that point in the season, we had no idea where they were going to land, and especially with the Urban Meyer stuff going on, I don't think anybody realized they'd be at least in the discussion for the national title when that time came up. This decision now that guys are making to not play in, for some, a meaningless bowl game as far as the playoffs go. I know it does mean a lot to the team, to the coach. I mean, the coach's contract could be on the line, a bonus, or the job itself. These decisions now from some major players to decide, you know what, I'm going to do me make sure I'm healthy, make sure nothing catastrophic happens, even though the odds aren't necessarily in that favor, and not play in this last game and focus on my future rather than playing for my team? It is you know, very, very difficult to be judgmental because of the nature of the sport. It's not NCAA basketball. It's not college baseball. And we've seen players get hurt, get hurt badly. You know, we go back to, you know, Willis McGahee getting hurt in the national title game, which just stopped, probably prevented him from being maybe the first or second running back picked in the draft, getting picked at the, I believe the back end of, of the first round or being the second round. And he went out to have a decent career, but probably not what it would have been because he had that terrible knee injury uh, in the championship game. Jake Butts. Michigan tight end, uh, who I think has had a, hurt his knee since. Yeah, he was on. He's on Denver, to, and he's he's out for the rest of the season. He heard to, to reconstruct his, right. but but he was a, a projected first round pick. Uh, obviously, he got drafted about the fourth round. Uh, the Smith kid from Notre Dame, who was flying around the field like a bat out of hell right now, but he was going to be a top five pick in all probability, and had that terrible terrible injury against Ohio State, uh, which dropped him drastically into the second round. So, you know, it's hard to argue when you look at what we've seen in terms of the history, especially recent history, to a lot of these guys uh, who were supposed to go in the top and went either a little later or a lot later and suffered terrible injuries. Me personally, not that I would ever be in that position, I would play. I would want to play. I would want to finish my career with my guys because to me, that's a huge part of being in college. That's a huge part of that element of your life is being on the field together, the camaraderie of it, finishing what you started, but it's a double-edged sword. You flip the coin with the notion of, but it's also the next step in my life. Do I want to put the next step in my life at peril for one game that's not a national title game, uh, that in all probability is not going to do anything to enhance my draft standing. And that's also, I think, what, what has to play a huge role in the decision. If I play great, am I going to, first of all, am I in a position where I'm going to be noticed? Do I play the type of position where it's going to be noticed if I play great? Secondly, if I play great, how much is it going to help me? If I play lousy, how bad is it going to hurt me? Throw all that into the pot, along with the ability to, you know, perform for the scouts on pro day. Uh, take the advice from your agent. Take the advice from your family, or at least the the input versus the advice, and come to a decision as to what you think is best for you, both from a personal competitive standpoint. And the, the rest of your football career, not the rest of your life, but the rest of your football life standpoint. And it, it really is a tough call because of the violent 
uh, high-risk nature of the sport. I would much prefer to see guys play, but I can understand them deciding it's not in my best interest to play. I think the interesting thing is now in 2018, several of the sports media folks that you hear talking about this issue too, the analysts, many of them are former players who are now in their mid-30s or in their 40s. When they had the opportunity to play in a bowl game and they can give their example of what they would have done or what other teammates would have done, the state of the internet, the state of how obsessed people are with information was completely different now than it is then. Where you would play in a bowl game, and if it was on TV, that might be the only chance for half of the viewers to even know who you are, not even have seen you play before. You had to go out and prove yourself, and that might have been the only chance you had to do so, where there would be so many eyes on you, you had a great opportunity to showcase what you had in store, and that could affect where you would land in the National Football League. Now, you put your name into Google and Twitter and YouTube, and within .5 seconds, there'll be a highlight reel that a super fan made. There'll be your worst plays and your best plays. There's not the sense that I need to go out and showcase myself in this final game because people weren't watching me play at insert, maybe not a well-known D1 college here. Now they'll know who you are. And if you're good enough, they've seen how good you are. One more game shouldn't change what people already have in the bank as to who you are as a player or what you can provide for your team. So I don't think the game itself might have as much onus and weight like it would have if you were playing at a school in Colorado in 1994 and you're not going to be seen by people on the East Coast. Or if you're playing in the Pac-12 as well. Nobody's staying up to watch those games. And the you other might not thing, be on TV. If, you're, if you're talking about, it's one thing if you're talking about the guys who were in college you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But if you go back 20, 25, 30 years ago, to 1990-ish, to like 1995. Yes, there were a lot of bowl games, but there weren't nearly as many bowl games as there are now. So the bowl games have really become to mean a lot less in terms of the validation of your season right. and the fact that, oh, we're getting to go to a bowl game. Yes, even, even in 1990, there were a lot more than in 70 and 75 and 80. But now there's even more than there were in 1990. There's 30-some-odd, I don't know the exact figure, uh, but I know there's at least 30 of them. Um, And I used to know all the names, and I don't anymore. There's just so (laughs) many. That's a test in itself to try and keep up with the different sponsors. Forget it. it's, it's, It's been bull saturation. So it's just not nearly as big a deal to go to a bowl game as it used to be. I and it really isn't going to get you that much more exposure. No. It's really much more of a chance of how much can it help me versus how much can it hurt me? And how important is that versus, you know, me, me having one last, one last dance with my guys. I didn't play football. I played baseball and basketball in high school. And it's in nowhere comparison to what it is like to play in college but from being able to cover football teams, it seems like when it comes to the amount of time you spend with each other for a season, though you only play a limited number of games, football is atop that list. In the weight room, in the film room, in the any room, really, <laughs> all year long, getting ready for, in high school, 10 football games, and then hopefully we'll make the postseason. Whereas basketball, you know, you're playing 20, 30, 40 games, three or four in a week, same for baseball, the season seemingly flies by, but you're not necessarily spending hours upon hours with each other going over film, going over game tape, the scouting reports for the other teams. Sometimes for baseball, it's like, I mean, we're just going to go out here. We know this guy has a good curveball. We're going to wait for it, and we're just going to play our baseball game. There's not a a ton of scouting you necessarily need to do in high school 
for a specific team on a specific week where football that's completely different. So the gym hours, the workout hours, the field hours that you put in with football, I would probably say is number one on the list. So you're around these teammates a lot. I don't know how in the final game, especially at a position as important as quarterback is, you would be able to just look those guys in the eye around the room and say, listen, I got to do this for the betterment of me and be able to say, I don't want to play. But (laughs) on the other side of the coin, in 2018, and no pun intended, there's probably people now, if you surround yourself with the right people, that can tell you the pros of not playing in that game. And they probably sound great. And when they're done talking to you about it, it would be pretty easy to look those guys in the eye and be like, listen, this is what I'm dealing with. I, I, I can't play with you guys. I'm sorry, but this is for the betterment of me. So there, it's very difficult for me as somebody that didn't play the sport and hasn't been in that position to defiantly say either way, like, I can't believe this guy's not playing or this guy was right in playing. I have no idea what would happen unless I was in that position. As somebody now that could look back on high school and long for those types of moments to be in the trenches with your teammates in an important game, I would lean more toward that just because I've been in that situation before. I can't speak on the money side or the I'm going to play professionally side or I have the chance to play professionally side, but it's it's difficult to be so defiant about it like we'll see on the sports media networks i can't believe this guy's not playing he like how do you know like we don't know what situation they're in so i can't get on a high horse and yell at will greer that he's not going to play against syracuse with west virginia because i I, I don't know what that situation's like i was surprised oh yeah i I was surprised i I will say that i can't say i wasn't surprised but i also can't come at him and be angry that he's not going to play in the game unfortunately in 2018 but hey Go Eric Dungy. <laughs> Show him what he's missing, right? Yeah, it'd be nice if he, if he finishes strong, and uh, it would be a, a top of the season if they could finish it out a ten, you know, ten win season with the ball. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. So we had a couple stupid losses in the National Football League this week. Well, stupid. The, clearly the wildest day of the year. Yeah, stupid. And we get this every year. I, we just don't know what specific week it'll be, but there's always a week like this where teams have the you need to kind of win this game and they lose, or it goes on the other side of the coin where you don't expect them to win, the season's basically over, and then before you know it, oh, we're here now. Or a team comes in on a hot streak and looks awful finally after they've won six, seven, or eight games. Which one surprised you the most of the lot this week in the National Football League? Well, I, you know, it's, very t- it's a very tough question. But even though I thought the Dolphins would give the Pats a snootful because they usually do down there, and Tom Brady has a losing record, uh, against the Dolphins on the road. I was not shocked that it was a close game. I thought it would be a close game. Obviously, you've got to be shocked by the finish because that's the last thing you would ever expect against a Bill Belichick coach team, regardless of the fact that they gave up a lot of points and the game went back and forth with, I think, six or seven lead changes. Uh, to lose on, you know, as they call it, Boise, which is a variation of the Boise State hook and lateral, where there are three different laterals and the last line of defense is a lumbering uh, gronk. Uh, Lum- lumbering just, is the perfect w- way to put it. <laughs> what was, was just stunning to me, even though the Chiefs-Raven game was a wild and woolly affair. Uh, the, the Dallas Philly game was it, it turned out to be a back and forth battle. Um, San Diego found a way to win. Uh, the Raiders stunned the Steelers with the kicker losing his footing on the tying field goal. So there was plenty to go around, and that would have been number one had it not been that that being the Raiders win. 
that would have been number one had it not been for the way that the Pats lost. I'm ready to do it. Another team into the graveyard for 2018. Now, you might finally put one of the teams I have in there from last week into the graveyard. But to me, the defending Super Bowl champions were in a must-win game against the Dallas Cowboys. Though it was in Dallas, though Dallas has been rolling, hey, you're the defending champs, man. Time to show that you still got it. And they did not play well at all. And, and I know it comes down to overtime, and it can go either way, and Dallas took advantage of getting the ball first on a tipped, miraculous Amari Cooper catch for a touchdown. You drop below 500 at this point in the season, now having to go to L.A., then play the Texans, who are most likely still going to be punching their way, trying to make their way into a significant seed in the postseason. You're going to play the Redskins the last game of the year, which, I mean, I think you and I can go out there and, and have a shot against Mark Sanchez and a guy that hasn't thrown a significant pass in seven years. But that's it for me. I'm done with the defending Super Bowl champions. I've given them a pretty long ride, considering this season has been pretty ugly for them, especially with Carson Wentz back under center. I didn't expect them to necessarily pick up right where they left off when he was leading them to an MVP season last year, but by now they should be ready to go. They're not. I'm out. Rest in peace, I, the Eagles. I, I would agree with you, but for the following. As we know, 9-7 and seven is going to get you a wild card in all probability in the NFC. And tomorrow night, somebody's got to lose, barring another tie, the Minnesota-Seattle game. That's going to be a huge loss for one of those teams. And if it's Seattle, that means that the Eagles are only a game back. Now, I understand their schedule is brutal, but they're playing well enough now to beat whoever they're going to play. Although they do have to play the Rams. Uh which will be a very, very, very tough game for them. But they can beat whoever they play. They're getting better. They played a much better second half today. Than, they played a terrible first half. Uh, second half, they played much better. They looked, they lost on a tough break. Uh, you know, after, uh, again, we have no way of knowing what's going to happen. But, so I can't just sit there and say, you know, miss extra point cost them the game. But it certainly didn't help. Uh, because you know, another missed extra point today. They missed the extra point at 9-3. Uh, they they could have made it to 10-9. Instead, it's a 9-9 game. And just you know, a multitude of missed extra points and field goals today, uh, which to me is just mind-numbing at the amount of these kicks that are missed, that are very makeable kicks, and obviously extra points are all just chippies. And they're missed left and right, no pun intended. Uh, but you already killed the Panthers, uh, who... Today, I bury them, uh, and they're at six and seven. Uh, they're just not playing well enough, uh, in my mind, to find a way to get to nine and seven. Although, who knows? You know, in, in this league, uh, you know, they were six and two, and, and now they've lost five in a, five in a row. It says they can't turn around three in a row. But I find those chances to be slim and none. Uh, so I would say the Eagles have a better chance than the Panthers. So that leaves two teams ahead of them. As we said before, Minnesota and Seattle. So it, it's still possible. Not dead yet if you're the Eagles, but you got to win some games. This was another week of what are, you what are you doing losing that game or having that game be that close? Like if you're the Steelers and you go into play the Raiders, and I understand it's not the easiest place to play, Fans are still excited about that team because they haven't moved yet. You got to beat the Raiders, man. And, and John Gruden celebrated after this game like they won the Super Bowl. And well, they did. Of course, my first thought is, I mean, get that draft pick, John. Don't get too excited. It's unfortunately... It was their Super Bowl. My, my mind immediately goes with these guys when they're winning games with three or four wins. Like, hey... Keep tanking, man. Get that draft pick. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. You can't play that way. Oh, no. Pro. You can as a team, but as a fan or, or a fair-weathered person, 
thinking about the draft, it's it's very hard not to be like, eh, you know, they keep winning. Like the Giants dominated the Redskins today, which kind of was expected, as we mentioned, Mark Sanchez. I'm sure there's a ton of Giants fans thinking like, oh, cool, but, eh, you know, we need that quarterback. Let's not get too excited. It's the amazing thing about sports. But there were a couple games today the Panthers fell onto that list to me, even though I had them in the graveyard of, you can't, you can't lose to the Browns. Like, we're getting into must-win games for some teams, and I'll give you one. The Denver Broncos going to play the 49ers, again, on the road, but rolling, in a sense. Losing Emmanuel Sanders didn't help being without Chris Harris Jr. And, until maybe the postseason, he said, which they, I don't think they're going to get to, didn't help. But, you know, it's the 49ers. Come on. It's not Matt Garoppolo. You can't lose games like that, and especially not at this point in the season. Now, for some teams, it's not going to matter, but, I mean, if you're the Patriots, that might have been home field, losing in Miami to the Dolphins. That could be you being on the road for the rest of the season when the Chiefs come back and win this miraculous game by a field goal. You know, not to mention them, but unfortunately it was against your Ravens. <laughs> in an in a incredible game, by the way. There's some games now that are more costly to lose than others that if you lose in week four, you think, well, that's no problem. We'll come back and win or... It's 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 this a lot harder a, now, and this was the week we saw. This a was a brutal loss for the Ravens because, you know, coupled with the Miami win and the Colts win, and the Tennessee win, they have all the tiebreakers. But still, uh, they would be ahead of all those teams, and believe it or not, the Ravens would be in first place in the AFC North with Pittsburgh's unexpected loss today. They would have had a half game lead at eight and five because Pittsburgh drops to seven five and one. Uh, with that, uh, you know. Very, very unexpected loss against the Raiders. Look, the Ravens had a 24-17 lead, and the Chiefs had a fourth and nine uh, at their own end of the field uh, on about the 40-yard line. And Mahomes did what, you know, maybe only he and Aaron Rodgers could do. You know, he, he rolls right on the dead run with pressure coming and throws the ball back across the field you know, against his body and... Tory Kill runs away from three defenders, makes the catch. And then on a fourth and three from the six-yard line uh, against the Blitz, gets it over Eric Waddle and to his running back, tie game, 24-all. Jackson fumbles at the end of regulation. The Kansas City kicker somehow misses the game-winning field goal. To overtime we go. And they hold Kansas City to a field goal. And it looks for all the world like the Ravens are marching down the field and at least going to get to the great, and I do mean the great, Justin Tucker's range. Because the tie would have been terrific for the Ravens. I would have been more than happy to jump it up and down for a tie. But on a second and eight, they get a sack, they get a holding penalty. Uh, Jackson gets hurt. Robert Griffin III has to come with the last two plays. You know, fourth and long, just over Willie Sneed's fingertips on a possible interference call. No interference, no catch, game, set, match, seven and six. You know, with three left, still a possibility for the wild card and still a possibility for the division because they're home against the Bucks at San Diego, very difficult. And then home against the Browns, no picnic. They already lost to the Browns in that ugly overtime game. But if they can find a way to win two of those three and get to nine and seven, the Steelers have the Pats. The Steelers have the Saints. Uh, and I believe the Steelers have, I think their third game is against the Bucks. also. I'm not sure. But you know, the Steelers could lose two of those games. Uh, but, you know, which would give the Ravens the win. But you have to, you have to, have to wait and see. You have to wait and see what happens. Uh, somebody's going to have to step up and start winning some, some you know, tight football games. And the Ravens have not been very good in close games. And, uh, you know, the Steelers lost two close games in a row, back-to-back, which is rare for them. You know, they always usually pull the rabbit out of the hat. Last week, they spit the bit down the stretch uh, the entire second half against uh, – I'll I'll stay San Diego forever – against the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. And, you know, today, the Raiders come back and beat. So uh, the AFC North is still 
wide open, up for grabs, as is that second wild card in the AFC. Pats, Saints, and Bagel Bengals close out the Steelers season. Ouch. <laughs> Bengals, that's right. Bengals. Bengals. Is there a team that you think will make the postseason in either division that you don't have any faith in them in making a playoff run after today? You mean winning a game or or what's a run? They could win like the wild card game, for example, but you wouldn't expect them to win the divisional game and then have a chance in the championship series. Oh, boy. I guess we could say one and done type of thing. I have to tell you, the team that, of all these teams that has shown me the least because they have not put anything together at any point in time this season, no consistency, even within a game. You know, I haven't really seen them play a good game yet from pillar to post against a good team. Of all the teams that are in the playoff hunt, is probably the Vikings. The Vikings have never looked good to me all year. Whether it's bad special teams, whether it's a bad game on the offensive end, whether it's a bad game by the overrated defense, they have found a way to look nothing remotely resembling like a team that has the ability to make a playoff run, despite a world of talent. They're not even on my radar, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, and that has nothing to do with even the change of quarterback to Kurt Cousins. Frankly, last year they weren't really on my radar either. They were just a team, like a feel-good story type run, but I never really took them seriously as a team that could win the Super Bowl. And I, maybe that's not necessarily what we're going for here since it's still early. But there's some teams... Especially after you see, like, how do you lose to this team? And I know the postseason is a completely different rodeo, and you play differently, you play call differently, you make decisions differently. It's a completely different world, and it doesn't even matter sometimes if you're going up against, quote-unquote, a better team. Sometimes the postseason experience will be enough to carry you, but... This was a week where you looked around and go, how do you lose to that team? Or I can't believe you looked that bad. Or look at the flaws that you have to this point. And I don't want to say it, and I'm not going to. I'm just going to hypothetically say, there's been several games with the New England Patriots where you think, gee, I don't know if they're going to have enough left to go up against three or four of the teams that they might have to face along the way. There's been enough vulnerability where if they don't have it on a specific day, I don't know if they'll have enough on the other end to win the game in a divisional matchup, say, or, or in a championship series, say. And that's stupid to say because we've seen it happen. <laughs> this, this wouldn't be the first rodeo for Tom Brady to have to come in and, and prove people wrong and cruise to a Super Bowl, and you go, well, of, of course they would get to the Super Bowl. Why, why would we think otherwise? But today was one of those, boy, there's a couple holes, and if they get struck by the injury bug, I don't know what's going to end up happening. Now, there's plenty of time for them to get hot and make a little run. The Steelers this year, with that offense, and they don't have a, a star running back that has been a proven star this year in Connor today, but Another game where even the touchdown that Ben threw at the end, that was, a, that was an ugly throw. That almost got picked again. One of those, you're down at the goal line, and he just slings it to somebody real fast without really even looking at what he's doing. You get into a shootout with a team, I don't know. I don't know. There, there's, there's still only the Saints, the Chiefs, the Rams. Those, to me, are the three that stick out in my mind as the I, well, I would that, expect to see them to that's the, the That's the elite group, absolutely. But, you know, in terms of, you know, well, uh, of assessing the playoff potential teams, who, who do you think, the way I took your question was, uh, teams that have a chance to make the playoffs, who do you think is least likely to make a run? 
And you know, Minnesota is in one of the wild cards right now. And I've seen nothing from Minnesota that leads me to believe they can make a run. They have the talent to do it, but I haven't seen them play well enough at any point in time to think that they go out and win a couple playoff games in a row. Right. And to answer my own question, just because we're not, we haven't seen enough of him yet, I'd have to be a little bit weary of the Ravens just because Lamar Jackson doesn't have the games under his belt to be like, Yeah, but the oh, Ravens, the Ravens okay. if they make the playoffs, the Ravens gonna, are, are going to have, you know, he was inactive today at the last minute, but the Ravens are going to have a, a relatively healthy Joe Flacco to come off the bench slinging if they ever get in a position where they're in the playoffs or even down the stretch. If things aren't working for Lamar Jackson, they need to throw the ball. Joe Flacco is going to be in the game. So they've got something that a lot of these other playoff hopefuls do not have. They're going to have a guy coming off the bench who can really sling it and has won a Super Bowl and has had huge playoff success. Do I say that because I'm a Ravens fan? No, I say that because those are the facts. Well, you'll obviously have the Brock Osweiler handing the ball to Peyton Manning situation. <laughs> That's how easy it is, Al. You know, throw Brock Osweiler out there, get a couple wins, beat the Patriots, then give it to Peyton Manning to make the Super Bowl run. It's very simple. Very simple for the, angu- the angular, The angular Brock Osweiler. <laughs> the stud Brock Osweiler. Are you surprised at all? And there's still plenty of time for this to change, as there always is, recording this show on Sunday night, but... Hey, the Bears, at least, leading the Rams 15-6. to six. Not too shabby for the Bears. I, I, I thought the Rams would pound them in this game. I thought the Rams would blow them out of their own building. I thought the Rams' offense would do uh, not you know, put up a 35-point night, but I thought that they would score in the 20s, and I didn't think the Bears would get it to double digits. Because I'm not crazy about the Bear quarterback. Uh, I don't think he can throw it that well. I know he can run, but I, I really don't like him as a thrower. But this is only his you know, second full season, so that, that remains to be seen. Uh, their defense is very rough. They turn you over. <laughs> they fly to the ball. They are very good defense. They're not the 85 defense. There's only a couple of those that I've seen in my lifetime. But they're, they're a solid defense. Uh, and look, this Ram team has uh, you know, been a juggernaut offensive. They're holding six points to three quarters. It's impressive. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. I tried to forget who I picked for the six-pack this week so it wouldn't sting as bad when we got to this moment in the show. But I think a sting is going to come more like probably a branding with a, with a welding iron or, or something along the lines of that. I think it's going to go... Now, folks, folks, we had to really uh, wing it this weekend because we had no college football to work with other than Army-Navy. And we hope you all watched it because... I always recommend to everybody, if you can set aside three hours on that Saturday, uh, you owe it to our boys uh, out of respect to what they do for us to watch that game and everything that that game means and the emotion. Because these guys don't just leave it on that field. They leave it on the real field for us when it's required for them to be called to duty. So we deserve to give them three, three and a half hours on the first Saturday in December and watch them go at it on the gridiron. I did did get that right, though. (laughs) I got that one right. Go Army, beat Navy. I had that one. All right. (laughs) Uh, So, folks, we we were uh, had no choice but to take our six pack totally into the league where they play for pay. And I got off to a great start with the Ravens plus six and a half. we had very different lines, uh, I think, by a point and a half. Uh, what, what did I say Miami? My Miami number was plus seven and a half, and, and right. you had minus nine? Yeah, by the, by the so, time I had sent it to you at maybe a half hour before one, that, yeah, the line did move that far. 
So uh, I jumped out 2-0 and and was flying. I, I took New Orleans, and it looked like the Saints were in trouble, and they were. But they not only came back to win the game, they came back to cover. So I'm at 3-0 and in great shape. But uh, because I refused to bury Carolina, I took them uh, in a pick in Cleveland. Uh, and we know what happened there. Uh, Baker Mayfield got it done again. Had another terrific game, as did Nick Chubb. A fourth and goal by Cam Iam, where he had his receiver open, missed him in the end zone. Then a last possession interception, which ended Carolina's, in all probability, playoff hopes. The penalties, too. McCaffrey gets into the end zone for his third, holding. They don't do anything on that drive. All game long, the penalties were killing them, which has become expected. So that drops me to three and one. I take the Eagles plus three and a half. It looks like I'm in great shape because we're in overtime on the comeback. And lo and behold, you know, three and a half is not enough because they score a touchdown on the deflection. So you don't get the ball. And three and oh is turned into three and two. And I'm in dire straits in this ramp game. So it looks like after flying out, flying out of the box, I am going to have what is still a great weekend for me, three and three. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's just preface this, ladies and gentlemen. Real American money went down on, and you know, you get a little greedy when you do stuff like this. I was thinking my lock of the week, or at least thought for lock, was the Packers were going to cover hosting the Falcons. The coach is gone. It's the typical trend in the NFL. The coach leaves. Even though your interim head coach gets rid of both of his challenges, not but like two minutes into the, the football game, he's already pissed away both challenges for your team. The Packers still roll the Falcons, and the Falcons, mother of mercy. I mean, Matt Ryan has those ACC ties for ACC radio, but Lord, (laughs) they have not been able to piece anything together this season. Instead of just putting all the money down on that one bet, I think, well, there's a couple locks that I like this week. Let's throw them into a parlay. Don't ever do that, folks. Don't. Never works out. I thought, eh, the Chiefs, they'll be fine against your Ravens to win by a touchdown. I thought the Broncos are rolling. The 49ers have nothing going for them. They can win by four. And, of course, the Packers. Well, when your parlay is over before the 4 o'clock games, that's the kind of day that went for me. It sounds like one of mine. (laughs) The Giants minus three was a good one. We got that out of the way. The Patriots minus nine. No thank you. No thank you at all. Uh... Not a surprise. The Chiefs, as we mentioned, did not cover the six and a half. And in overtime, I end up like rooting for the things that you need to happen to cover. So I'm obviously pulling for the Ravens to kick a game-tying field goal, and then maybe the Chiefs somehow get a lucky touchdown to win the game. None of this field goal nonsense. Well, that, of course, doesn't happen. The Packers, minus four. Yeehaw. Two wins. The Bills, minus four. No. (laughs) Not not quite. Didn't even win the football game. And the Broncos, minus four as well. When we decided we were going to go six NFL for the six-pack, I knew it wasn't going to be a good go at it. Uh, Sometimes we luck out. Sometimes college football can be a nice 3-0 to at least make sure we're even. Not the best first uh, a go here for just picking six in the National Football League, but thankfully we'll have these random bowls sprinkled in now in the next couple weeks before we get to the postseason for college football. Maybe that'll save us unless I put real American money down on it. So, ladies and gentlemen, fade accordingly, as we always say. 929-274-3437. Call us up. Make fun of me for my ridiculous bets and shoot a text message And I'll tell you who I'm going with as the week goes on, and you can make some money for yourself going the other direction. It's very simple. Check us out on the website. You'll see a tremendous picture of of John Tinylon, and you'll you'll get to read his tweets uh, from throughout the week. And uh, you'll you'll realize that I don't tweet, so you just have to listen to me on uh, the Sirius XM stations up and down the dock. Not ACC, uh, though. I haven't gotten you to come down to us 
on ACC Radio. All good things Syracuse come to those. All good things come to those who wait. All right, that's what so we're talking we, about. We, we're, and we can we can throw in that big Syracuse win over hated rival Georgetown. That was on nice. the uh, on the Tyus Battle jumper with two and a half seconds to go, overcoming a fifteen point second half deficit. Uh, we have a lot coming up this week. Uh, the MLB winter meetings are underway in Sin City. Will the hometown hero, Bryce Harper, and or Manny Machado, be at the podium, agent by their side, with their new general manager and manager before either one of them leave Vegas? I think they're going to milk this as long as they possibly can, so I'll vote no. I, I, the fact that he's from Vegas makes me say yes, yeah, but, that's, the fact that's that's, but the fact that Scott Boris represents him makes me say no. Because I think Boris wants his guy to sign second, right. so he makes sure he signs for more than money. Although I think he's going to get more money than Machado from whether he signs first or second. Because I think he is the, you know, the, the bigger get. So I am going to say Bryce Harper signs before they leave Vegas. Well, I'll leave you with this for this week's show. Wouldn't it be great to be in a position in life where someone can approach you and say, hey, here's $300 million dollars. And you have the opportunity to say back to them, eh, I'll wait. <laughs> now, how, however, I, I did hear that based upon the way that contract was structured with a deferred money, it may have only been, only, only, may have only been, in real dollars, maybe 260 to 270 yeah, million. See that? That's preposterous, Al. He got screwed. See that? Mere bag of shells. Mere bag of shells, Alice. Mere bag of shells. Maybe one day we'll get there. We keep up with these shows. Somebody will offer us two hundred sixty-seven. <laughs> not not, not I me. So. I hope to hell it's you, young man. But I know for a fact it ain't going to be me. <laughs> I'll think of you when I make it big and get the three hundred million contract. I'll make well, sure that. Well, I'd appreciate that. At least I'm in there somewhere. At least I'm in there somewhere. Well, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Thank you, Big John. All of our listeners out there, everybody have a great sports week. Keep your eyes and ears open for the winter meetings. NFL playoff stretch drivers upon us. Until next week, I am Alfred White Plains. Real name, Alfred Al, Al which few of you know. He is John Tiny One. Have a great week, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.